Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Nick Barker. I'm product lead at Manage Flitter, and I'm standing in for Kevin Garber, our wonderful CEO, who's currently in the USA. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast. We're up to episode 60 now. It's Friday, the 15th of May. We've got heaps of, uh, to talk about this time. I've got Chelsea Plowright uh, with me, who is our senior account manager at Melon Media. Hello. You I'm got, back. Yeah, you're doing well. <laughs> I've slowly pushed Kevin out of the picture. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. It's our <laughs> podcast now. No, uh, in fact, uh, we haven't really pushed Kevin out at all. We've actually got an interview with him uh, later on in the show, which is going to be really interesting about TechCrunch Disrupt, which is a big tech startup conference in the USA that he's currently at right now. So we'll get to that later. In terms of tech news, uh, it's actually been a relatively big week. Some stuff didn't come up until yesterday or the day before. The first thing uh, we're going to be talking about is Odesk and Elancer. Um, do you want to give us some background on what they actually do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Odesk is um, essentially a platform which allows you to hire um people um, on, on the internet, I guess. Um, we use Odesk um, to source people to do some tasks for us, um, which we can, uh, or find additional resources, such as um, maybe there's a particular development uh, job that needs to be done, which we can um, find someone who's clued up on Odesk. We can also hire people from virtual assistants, um, Elance, on the other hand, I haven't used before. Um, have you ever had experience with Elance? I actually didn't use Elance myself. I used Freelancer, which is mm. actually an Australian company. So I, I don't know how they're doing in particular now. But the big news, of course, is that um, uh, at the end of last year, uh, Elance and Odesk actually merged and became uh, one company that was actually called Odesk Elance, I think, or Elance-Odesk. Yeah, it, it, it was a bit of an unusual sort of... It's almost like Odesk continued to remain as it was. However, it was just the product was getting a little bit clunky. And um, and at that point, I actually tried out Freelancer as well. Mm. However, um, the only downfall of Freelancer was their mobile application was so limited. Um, you could only communicate with your freelancers um, and that was about it. You couldn't source freelancers. You couldn't, um, you know, set up jobs on their mobile platform. Um Freelancer is a little bit different as well, where they don't do the tracking, which um, or they've only just begun to implement um, a screening, which um, Odesk is pretty good at doing, um, which a screening is essentially, they take snapshots um, while they're working um, and while they're tracking their hours. So you can actually see that the freelance that you've hired online is is working on the work uh, that they you actually get committed. a guarantee that, yeah, that yeah. of what you're paying for yeah um so if you can see a facebook screenshot unless facebook is a core part of the job that you've outsourced them to do you can see that they're not maybe you can question them and say look what what are you doing on facebook or what are you doing on this particular site at that time <laughs> just to make sure that um you know their integrity is in check <laughs> yeah absolutely and i mean of course there's uh there's always that big question there about whether releasing a, bro a broken mobile experience is actually any better than doing nothing at all and whether you should actually hang back and, and spend spend a decent amount of time getting it fully Yeah, fully absolutely. I mean, even just looking at the freelancer, I might, I might just double check that they haven't updated it, but it's just a very basic sort of platform and, and it makes me question why they even released it at all. Um, it could have been some of that sort of me tooism in the in the mobile industry, which yeah, happens a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Upwork, um, Upwork, they've essentially released a much fresher um, UI. So they merged and then they've now rebranded into Upwork. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, everything so far has been it's very similar to the Odesk framework. However, just some additional tweaks and um, functionalities that they've added in there. Um, which just makes it that much more seamless. Um. It's definitely interesting, isn't it? Because uh, we're, we're always used to hearing about this huge acquisition, you know, like this giant multi-billion dollar company, you know, Google, Facebook, Apple or whatever, buying a small company. But you don't often hear about two companies that are relatively equal and, and you know, both sort of market leaders in their own right choosing to merge with each other on a relatively even footing. I mean... Obviously, there's going to be an interesting conversation between the CEOs about who <laughs> who gets to keep the, the king position. But 
Yeah, it is interesting. It's almost like there were both 80% companies that merged to make it almost like a 100% company or um, they both had something going good, but it wasn't great just yet. And Upwork, I can just see everything's been consolidated um, and really fine-tuned to offer a much better and and more robust product. Yeah, well, it's interesting because online freelancing is not new compared to some other internet technologies but when you think about in perspective of a lot of other jobs it's extremely new like it's only popped up in the last say 10 years or so Mm, something like mm -hmm. the first sites that started appearing about 10 years ago and according to uh the ceo the new ceo of upwork apparently uh globally freelancing is a three trillion dollar industry holy smokes well it even says here i've got on forbes.com the move comes as the company pushes to build annual freelancer revenues on the platform from one billion today to 10 billion six years from now so they're already they're already creating a billion dollars of work every year which is it's pretty amazing. There's, there, there are not that many companies that large these days where you can say, look, you know, we're actually, we've created a billion dollars of work for people to do. Like it's a, it's a pretty it's big deal. Very impressive. I wonder if that's um, the, the billion dollars is the um, revenue that they received, which is generally about 10%. Uh, I think that's probably going to be the one the, billion. The total As payout. opposed to um, the amount of work which has been signed off or cl- the closed business on the platform. Um, because surely one billion, yeah, it's a big number, but I wonder if that is that 10%. Um, but to answer your question, the CEO is Stefan Kazrell um, is the new CEO from April 20. Cool. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really imagine that over the next... Um, you know, five to 10 years, the whole idea of online freelancing is going to just, it's going to really explode. And of course, um, there are all these issues that come with that because in in Western countries now, of course, there are a lot of organizations that are choosing to outsource their development work um, to company uh, countries rather whether the average salary is much lower. So, you know, people are always questioning whether that's evening the playing field or whether whether people in more expensive um, cities will sort of get pushed out by by cheaper freelancers if it all becomes you know more re- readily available. Yeah, it, it is. A, it's an interesting um, thought. You know, five ten years ago, you could probably hire someone in the Philippines or you know in India for two dollars an hour, and now with the introduction of these freelancing platforms they're now competitive with um, Australian workers. I mean, even yeah. yesterday I had a Skype interview or Skype call with an offshore company in the Philippines. And then I was expecting their base rate um, to be, I mean, this is development. Um, and I've heard the quality that comes out of the Philippines is exceptional. Um, and their base rate was actually $18 to $25. And I was really expecting maybe 12 to, to 18. Mm. Um, and I, re- I understand that the the pay needs to be um, a little bit bigger or a little bit higher because there's a lot of management that goes in between yourself, the client, and the developer. There has to be a middleman. But it is creeping up um, Absolutely. Su- substantially. Yeah, and I I mean, you, you would hope that using a service um, like Upwork, for example, now, the 10% that they take is at least transparent. Mm. Whereas if you're going through sort of like a third party company that, you know, is hiring developers to you from uh, these these um, countries, you, all, all you know is the amount of money that you're paying to the management agency or to the recruitment agency or whatever. You don't actually know how much is going then on to the developer at the end. Yeah. And I wonder, it gets me thinking, I wonder if um, there seems to be a bit of a bad stigma around offshore resourcing. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think that you know, finding resources offshore has just become become the absolute norm. It won't be frowned upon because the standard will continue to rise and the management will be absolutely seamless. Absolutely. I mean, I um, interestingly enough, I actually sat in on a, on a really good lecture when I was uh, finishing my university degree two or three years ago now um, from Matt Barry, who is the CEO of, of Freelancer.com. And he was talking about... Um, the reason, so the reason all of these, uh, all of these companies decided to go after programmers first as the as the first job to outsource. They all went after developers essentially, and one of the reasons is that. 
programming as a as a thing is sort of it's one of the real great equalizers that exists in the workplace at the moment because you can learn so much with so little initial investment like all there are so many people there are absolutely fantastic developers everywhere in the world who have just taught themselves you know using stack overflow on you know on yeah, some 10 year old pc such kind as of thing. myself hey yeah <laughs> exactly i don't know if um you obviously don't know i have been pushing myself to learn a bit of code and i'm tearing my hair out at the moment it's incredibly stressful it, but it's yeah it <laughs> it's, does. it's very very easy to teach yourself and i think that's the most fantastic part about it yeah absolutely um now in terms of um in terms of mergers the second thing we're going to talk about today is actually uh an enormous split you might have heard at the end of last year that paypal and ebay are actually separating uh finally after after more than 10 years uh, ebay actually acquired paypal in 2002 so it was a really really That's long a big time divorce. ago yeah and the really interesting thing is that uh, PayPal had actually publicly listed at that point. So they were available on the stock exchange um, as, you know, P- PayPal was PYPL, I think, at that time. And then eBay acquired them, obviously. And uh, some huge news that came out just two or three days ago is that PayPal is actually going to relist now on the NASDAQ. Um, so essentially, that means that they're going to have an enormous float. And, you know, like people, you know, there's going to be all this news about, you know, oh, all the suckers who bought into PayPal and then they lost their money. And then it'll just it'll be it'll be the Facebook float all over again. I promise you it'll be there'll, there'll be just <laughs> that much hype around it. I mean, when um, I, I haven't unfortunately um, invested any money into the stock market, so it would be great if you could enlighten me what's involved with the people that purchased PayPal shares 10, 15 years ago. Um and what what happens to those shares now? Did they have to release all the shares and well, when they merged with eBay or Yeah, I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain on the specifics, but all of all of the PayPal shares would have been, you know, purchased or converted into into eBay shares during the initial acquisition. I see. Um, but I have no idea what's gonna happen to investors currently in eBay because I I mean, uh, who knows? Like uh, People are predicting all of this kind of, you know, all kinds of stuff. Like some people are predicting that eBay stock is going to crash after the official split and some people are predicting that it's going to go up. And, you know, I don't think anybody really, really has knows. the best idea about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, mean, I, I look forward to see what pay- PayPal are looking to do as a single entity. I mean, the payment sort of industry is, is moving very quickly. Um, yeah, absolutely. They're going to be... I mean, I can see, I can see in the short term everything being paid by your mobile, um, and then long term, this you know you you probably have a watch, um, and you just be able to swipe things on your watch. Um, yeah, I mean the the interesting thing is that um, uh, PayPal has been around obviously for such a long time, but. I think anyone who has used it extensively, if someone, I've sold a whole bunch of stuff on eBay over the over the years and I've had to use PayPal relatively extensively. Unfortunately, PayPal has quite a terrible reputation as a payment provider mm. and, and a lot of people who, who use it on eBay who've had problems with PayPal would literally say, the only reason that I use PayPal is because it's so tightly integrated with eBay. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, some people... Some people have to pay using PayPal or there are some situations in which you, you can't do anything else about it. And, you know, they've, they've, um, there's been things that have happened like people have had arbitrary locks put on huge accounts and, and you know, it's like actually compromised cash flow in their business because mm. PayPal's just refused to give them access to the money and stuff like that. Like there, are, there have been a lot of reports of some dodgy. I've always had a terrible user experience with PayPal. <laughs> Sorry to any PayPal employees listening. You apologize um, personally to Elon Musk if you want. But it just it just seems to be a massive gateway, like just these iron gates into getting the transaction done. I mean, it's just not smooth and swift at all. Yeah, and the customer service as well has has been it has a has a reputation, yeah, for being very they they stonewall people, yeah, really hard. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting um, thing to talk about uh, the online payment industry because it's it's one of those industries that is uh, now so entrenched and the barrier to entry is so high that it's really really difficult for a startup to come along and just sort of turn the whole thing on its head. 
I feel like Stripe has has you know disrupted. Absolutely, the they're doing very well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing as a whole, uh, like Stripe uh, has has an absolutely fantastic experience, and it's really incredible for developers to to integrate and. Um, but the the issue is that they're now they've now covered sort of like the direct credit card uh, mm. part of the market, whereas PayPal just still has this absolute ownership on the sort of like money transfer middleman kind mm. of thing. Mm. So Stripe, you know, they accept credit cards and whatever, but you don't have your own personal Stripe account that has balance in it. You mm. know what I mean? Like mm. PayPal does, and. Um, yeah, I mean, people were talking, people were saying for ages, oh, you know, Bitcoin now, it's going to be the end of PayPal and online payments and stuff like that. But obviously that that dent hasn't really materialized so much yet. I was actually thinking, this is a little bit off track, but I was thinking about technology and, and you know, the, the new budgets and tax time coming up. And I wondered, I wonder how long cash will be around for. I wonder if cash is just going to be completely... I would love cash to disappear personally. Just removed. But uh, there there are some very strong arguments for cash um, still existing. And one of the biggest things is privacy. Mm. Uh, Because if you do pay for everything on credit card, the credit card company knows everything that you've bought. Well, that's what my... my, So my point was is... I wonder if the governments are going to start enforcing the removal of cash because they want to be able to have data on everything and every single transaction. Imagine what they could do knowing exactly where every dollar and cent is going. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I think that um, in that kind of case, as soon as cash disappears, something else will pop up in its place in order to allow transactions to go through anonymously. Whether whether or not people move into a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin is is yet to be seen, but it's definitely a really, really interesting thing to watch. And who knows, PayPal might start accepting Bitcoin at some point. Mm. Like that mm. that would be a really I mean, I'm actually interested in I'll I'll have to check it out because there are a bunch of online providers. I think Stripe actually started um, I think Stripe actually might have started accepting Bitcoin in, in some cases or they allow and maybe PayPal actually supports it as well now. I'm not 100% certain so I'll have to, I'll have to go look it up. But yeah, because um, of course uh, the, whole, the whole thing with Bitcoin is that uh, yes, it, it can be used to transfer money, but uh, I think people have always said that that uh, it's more int- uh, it's sort of more useful to think of it as an asset rather than an actual currency. So you can think of investing in Bitcoin as sort of like investing in gold. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's going to sit there, and you can convert it back into money at some point. But uh, you know, you don't want to have a currency that is just going to potentially arbitrarily devalue at some point. Yes, yeah. Like there, there are even things in the US about uh, there are companies who have started offering to pay their employees in Bitcoin. Holy smokes. Yeah, which is pretty bizarre because yeah. imagine you get your paycheck and overnight <laughs> half, of the, half of the money's or yeah. half of the money's just gone. I think we need to have gone. a chat to Kev about that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll take 10% of our pay in, in Bitcoin. Yeah, it might be, <laughs> <laughs> might be an interesting thing to do. Right. I heard that um, Kevin, obviously being at TechCrunch, he must have heard a few things on Bitcoin. So how about we jump straight to that interview and um, we'll have a chat after. Yeah, sure. Great. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Okay, so we're here with the CEO of Managed Flitter, Kevin Garber, being the interviewee for once, which is always interesting. He's over in the United States at the moment for the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference, which is one of the biggest startup tech conferences in the world. It's always interesting. He's been going for years. Um, Do you want to give us a really quick explanation of what the conference actually is and, and what it's about just for the people who haven't heard of it before? 
Um, good evening, Nick, from um, the East Village in da downtown Manhattan. Crazy mad Manhattan. TechCrunch was started by the TechCrunch Disrupt was started by the TechCrunch. Um, founder Michael Arrington. I think the first one was either in 2006 or 2007. Um, and then Jason Calacanis joined him and uh, it was actually called the TechCrunch. Um, it wasn't called Disrupt initially. It was called the TechCrunch 40 and then a TechCrunch 50. Hmm. And the first TechCrunch that I went to was in 2008 when we had a product called Spellarus. was actually invited to present in a the Startup Alley, which was one of the sections of the conference, and it's Czech, uh, Czech Dog, which uh, is advertised on this on this podcast. And um, Disrupt is um, a mixture of uh, you know founders and VCs talking, and, and combined with new startups pitching and getting feedback from an expert panel. Um, they they have them in San Francisco and New York. Um, and um, it's three days of just tech startup madness, and it's um, the, the energy is incredible. If you're ever looking for a conference to go soak up the startup vibe and get inspired and make good contacts, um, Disrupt's great. And, of course, um, I met you at Disrupt last year, Nick, and you were dancing. Um, you got onto the main stage at Disrupt last year with your startup at the time, which is actually a fantastic achievement. Yeah, it was definitely. It was super interesting as an experience, but very, very intense. And, and since then, uh, if any of you listening have ever seen the uh, TV show Silicon Valley, the first uh, season of the show is actually based on, on TechCrunch Disrupt as an event. And I can tell you that it's very, very accurate. They, they really nailed the, the whole experience and what it was like to be to be a part of the whole sort of crazy thing. Um, so I'm sure you saw uh, a number of really, really interesting, promising startups. Do you have any in particular that you want to talk about? Or? Yeah, I made, I made some notes um, for the podcast. Um, the standard was honestly higher than ever. Um, no offense to you who presented <laughs> last year. You, you, had a, <laughs> you, you, you had a great um, you had a great product last year, which we can talk about another time. Um, um, which is very very bold product and, and sort of notification space, etc. Uh, but there were some fantastic startups this year. Let me go through some of them, yeah. um, Nick. There was. Um, a company called Relevancy Data that wants to uh, rework the way YouTube ads work. Apparently, currently YouTube ads are based on a cookie type sort of analysis of your computer, and then they target the ads according to the cookies. Yeah, uh, Relevancy Data actually, actually, actually look at the content of the video that you are about to watch and target an ad based on that content. Um, so, for instance, say you're about to watch a, a video clip of the goal in the World Cup final, right? Mm. Um, it's going to know that it's a, it's a video about the World Cup. And not only that, it might know that um, it might see one of the brands in the video, um, whatever, Adidas or, or, or the watch of the goalkeeper, or it does a whole analysis of different content pieces in the video and actually targets an ad based on the content and elements of the content in that video. So I found that quite interesting. Yeah, um, that's super cool. Um, I'm not exactly sure that it's an Israeli tech startup. There must be some, some serious smart tech behind that. Um, but uh, that, that, was, that was pretty interesting. Um, so that was called Relevancy Data. I'll put, I'll put some links in the show notes for people that want to uh, have a look. There was, um, there was another really interesting startup called Get Pangea. Now, They've developed a system um, to actually access the internet over a voice phone signal. Now, why this is interesting is because in developing countries, they do have you know, um, uh, mobile networks rolling out at the rate of knots and data is even available, but apparently the data is quite expensive in certain places. But they've developed a system where you can get basic internet access by making a telephone call. So you can update your Facebook status or you can even have a, That's have a really look amazing. at it. Uh, really interesting, right? So um, um, some really interesting uh, um, technology. So that's, that's Get Pangea. So I, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even know that was possible. So they, they trans, I, I suppose it's almost like the old days of the modem. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sort of repackaged. Exactly. I mean, I, I very briefly ran into uh, the CEO of a company called ZipDial, um, 
Valerie Wagner, who uh, was doing a very similar kind of thing. They became big in India because they'd worked out a way of doing mobile advertising when mobile data wasn't available by using uh, sort of uh, uh, like prank callbacks, I guess, was, was like the original way that they started. So there's a lot of interesting tech happening now in developing countries to, to make up for that, that gap in the data. Yeah, uh, really interesting in developing countries because obviously people are more hungry than ever to access all the bits and pieces, but costs and limitations, etc. So that was Get Pangea, really innovative. Um, there was there was someone working. There were actually two companies in the battery space, um, in, the, in the in the energy side mm. of things, which were really really interesting. One was Nikola Labs, which developed um, a special mobile phone case that that absorbs some of the energy that your mobile phone is um, emitting um, and actually feeds it back into the phone and actually saves your battery 30%. Wow, so, um, that's huge. It, it, so, yeah, so really, really smart sort of smart approach to the problem. But taking it even a step further was a company called Nucleus Scientific. And they... Um, had a whole different battery technology um, and 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 um, a whole different sort of technology in the battery itself. Um, so much so that uh, their batteries, the equivalent of today's iPhone or HTC or a Android battery, could be charged in three minutes without degradation of the <laughs> of the battery cell. Apparently, um, it's it's possible to charge batteries a lot faster, but it destroys the battery. But they've developed a, a technique or, or a technology and material, etc. Three minutes, you can charge your cell phone battery. Now, of course, this revolutionizes not only the cell phone space, but in terms of electric cars and things like that, suddenly it's a whole different landscape, quite, quite a disruptive technology. Absolutely. And not only that, you, you'd be creating the whole um, space for having charging stations around the place because the biggest problem with, with having charging available publicly is that, of course, it just takes too long per device. But if you're actually, if you can get it done in three minutes, then you can potentially have places to charge your phone, you know, in a 7-Eleven or in a cafe or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite, and I'm surprised it's taken this long, but obviously to, to find a technology like that, but obviously um, it's a complex problems to solve, and it was quite deep technology. And the people that, that were involved in this startup um, seem to be quite experienced in that space. And it's um, um, it, it so sounds pretty like, pretty deep. This isn't. It sounds like there are a lot of PhDs at Disrupt this year. Yeah, they were quite uh, quite deep technology, which is which is which is fantastic. Um, some. Um, Getting back into the more traditional website of things, there was a company from uh, Canada called PageCloud, which are trying, is trying to solve the, the long-standing issue of a decent WYSIWYG um, HTML editor, um, which, mm. you know, we still stack on Drupal and WordPress with just very, very ordinary HTML editors. And they, they, they're trying to solve this, you know, have something that looks like Photoshop, but it's actually building clean code on the background. And I have to say on the face of it, at least on the demo, um, it looked really, really good. That's called PageCloud. Um, and uh, that, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah, I was basically just saying that uh, for the people listening, um, WYSIWYG is an acronym uh, for what you see is what you get, which is refers to editing uh, websites as you would see them as someone looking at it, and it generates the code for you automatically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of people these days use WYSIWYG editors. They might not know that word. I, rem I actually remember um, when I first came across that word WYSIWYG as a kid, <laughs> I, I quite liked it uh, all those years ago. Anyway, that's, um, th that's a new WYSIWYG editor if you want to check it out, PageCloud. Um, and uh, they've been working quite hard at the problem. Another um, uh, um, startup that was quite interesting, a company called Naked Filter, which was a new water filter. There's obviously a lot of water filters out there, but this water filter was was one that you can pop in a water bottle, and they have water bottles, but it actually filters out everything, including bacteria, which apparently is quite, oh, wow. quite unusual and quite difficult. And apparently, even in New York, they were saying, you know, a lot of water comes from water tanks, and people actually get sick, and they don't even know it's from the water. They just get a stomach bug or something like that. 
So, and, and of course, we've heard so much about you know clean water being such a problem in in parts of sub-Saharan Africa. So if they can make it cheap enough, obviously it's going to be it's going to be really huge. Yeah, and they've got some fancy technique they spoke about as well of manufacturing this um, this um, um, uh, this this new water filter. Um, then there was also a fitness app called uh, Vimo Fit, which um, identifies. It's sort of like a it's sort of like a Fitbit or a Jawbone, but it actually identifies a whole different range of exercises. So if you if you start doing bench presses, it knows you're doing bench presses, and if you're doing chin ups, it knows um, you're doing chin ups. That is so cool. I I I will definitely start using that if it actually works as they say it does. That's really amazing. Yeah. So I I tweet. That's exactly what I tweeted out. I said uh, if if it works, it would be um, very very cool. And then there was um, a really impressive one where some guy had a startup that would print um, cartilage or you, you know almost organs um, based on. Uh, but basically, there's a problem that in printing live tissue, the printing process kills the live tissue up until now. So that's that's yeah. a, that's a that's a challenge. This guy, also out of one of the universities here, um, developed 3D printing for live tissue without killing the tissue, and he had this machine that was basically can fit in you know a sports bag, and he he printed out like a like an ear. Um, based on someone's DNA and passed it around to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing, but also really gross when you think about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, really, really spooky. Um, you know, the future is really here. People don't realize that this this tsunami it's of right on our doorstep. Yeah, the tsunami of interesting technology. And and he said this is designed more for analysis rather than organ replacement. So, for instance, um, if you've got a tumor. They can actually take a biopsy of the tumor and actually print out a copy of the tumor and then look at the tumor, experiment on the tumor. Um, so, wow. Yeah, fa- yeah, that's really amazing. Uh, fa- fascinating, um, y- you know, technology. I'll just get the, get the, somehow it's just slipped off my notes here, um, what the actual name, um, Biobots. Is a 3D printer for living cells. I mean, and the fascinating thing is this thing just, it's tiny. I mean, it's a size almost not much bigger than a laptop. And um, this thing is printing cells. So um, Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, it's, um, 3D printing has always been, since it first appeared, it's always been a big thing at Disrupt. Last year, there was a, a, a startup um, a woman who had built a 3D printer from makeup who could, you know, it yeah, could print any that. any shade of, of whatever, you know, foundation or mascara or whatever for you. So <laughs> I imagine there'll be something even more amazing with 3D printing next year. Yeah, look, I mean, there's, there's a real a real wave of, of all of this. I, I found this, you know, really inc- incredible. Biobots is the name of this. Um, mm. And then there were just some. I mean, those, those were the, the, the some of the better startups that I saw. Um, obviously, there was tons of stuff there. Um, the, the mayor of New York was there. He made some interesting comments. He says New York. Oh, is, cool. New York's going to build the fastest and largest public Wi-Fi network in the world with ten thousand hotspots. So, wow! Uh, awesome. So that'll be fantastic. I mean, I don't know why other cities don't actually do this. It's obviously a cost issue. Uh, but I don't know why it's Sydney. also about density, I imagine, because uh, America's so spread out. So, you know, if every Wi-Fi hotspot's only covering on average, you know, one or two people, then it's probably not cost effective. But with how cramped everyone is in New York City, it's probably much more um, reasonable. It's it's true. I mean, the density allows, to, you know, different things um, to happen here. I mean, I know in Silicon Valley, I think there's a free Wi-Fi provided by Google and you have to just log in with your Google account, if I remember correctly. Um, but that makes sense. Um, he also noted that the tech ecosystem in New York hires 300,000 people and growing. So it's quite a significant part of um, New York and it's growing every, every year, you know, compared to a few years ago, tech and, and tech startups. Really growing. They still need a few, you know, big exits. The the big exits are what seed a tech ecosystem, and that's where Silicon yeah. Valley has uh, has you, you know uh, uh, flourished. I mean, they have Etsy has listed and Tumblr sold to Yahoo, but it's it's nothing like the the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Googles and the Adobe's yeah, of, and uh, of, of course because you know an enormous exit or an enormous public listing, uh, you know, um, will will dump. 
you know, at least a hundred well-off angels into the ecosystem immediately because suddenly you have all these uh, people who were early stage engineers or, or, you know, similar kind of thing working for these companies who now um, <laughs> have exactly. a lot of time and a lot of money to, to spend on the local tech ecosystem. Yeah, it, it, it has huge spin-offs. Yeah, it's the, the angel side of things, the people with skills, people that have had an experience. You know, you know, growing these companies. So you know, New York just still needs a couple of more of those exits, which which will happen. There's companies, you know, in New York like BuzzFeed and, you know, fashion tech is very, very big here. Uh, mm. there's, there's some incredibly smart fashion tech entrepreneurs and Warby Parker and, 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 and all sorts of um, companies like that. But it's the growth that just seems to be be compounding. And there's also the Bitcoin. There were the, I think you pronounce them, the, the, the Winklevoss twins. Well, but yes. Yeah, well, and, and they're so bullish on, on the Bitcoin. Um, of course, they have a huge stake in it. Every every rise is is working out financially very well for them. So <laughs> Yeah, and they, they had some interesting, I mean, they, they know their stuff, I have to say. And Bitcoin is still just one of these technologies where it's still um, such early days and it's still such a, almost like an enthusiast side of things. But as a distributed platform of trust, um, really, very, very interesting. But they, they were they were the interesting chaps. Of course, they're famous for um, suing uh, Mark Zuckerberg for having stole um, the Facebook idea from them. And I think when this, they were at Harvard, yeah, when, when they were at Harvard, and um, they got a settlement, I believe, in Facebook shares. It wasn't cash, but in Facebook shares that ultimately landed up being worth two hundred million or something like that. Yeah, it's huge. It's really huge. So. Which um which is nice. And they're Olympic rowers apparently, but I don't know if they've got gold medals or something. <laughs> so um, I've they, seen them speak before actually in, in Korea. It was quite interesting seeing, you know, they they um they roll around with a big entourage and it's it's quite interesting to see how they're they're very they're very different to, to most other sort of tech entrepreneurs, especially Australian ones. But they're still still interesting guys. And the, the presentation on Bitcoin was yeah um, quite enlightening because I didn't know that much about it beforehand. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting technology that I'm I'm following. Anyway, um, that that was sort of TechCrunch disrupt. It was crazy. It was good. It's um, it's, uh, it's just. You know, the, the, the momentum of the industry just compounds and compounds and um, a lot of opportunities for the bold and, um, you know, it's not just, just about sort of SaaS products, which is good because, um, you know, health tech and biotech and fashion tech and it's, it's the, the, the startup world is just really widening and that was um, disrupt for, two, for 2015. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you had a really good time, Kev. Um, we'll, we're looking forward to having you back in Australia and, and, you know, back on the podcast again. But we'll see what we can do for next week. I'm sure you'll have more interesting stuff to talk about. Terrific. Nick, have a good podcast. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sure I will. <laughs> we'll, Thanks we'll, a lot, Kev. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, have a good one. See you. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. Manage Flitter helps you to work smarter and faster on Twitter. With Manage Flitter, you can schedule tweets for appropriate times, gain insight into your Twitter connections, grow your Twitter account, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com for a free trial. Well, that was super interesting. It sounds like Kev's having a really good time in the US and, you know, TechCrunch uh, Disrupt is extremely impressive as usual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was right in saying um, the standard of, of work coming out of TechCrunch seems to multiply each year um, in a positive way. Some of the, the products and um, startups he was talking about in your interview was just phenomenal. I mean, being able to print cartilage is just I've, I've heard of that happening before, but with such a small device and it being so portable, um, it'd be great if we can see that happening in the near future for third world countries where, you know, people need to have pretty, um, pretty quick access to some of the medical supplies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the interesting things... I don't know if Disrupt these days is uh, making selections on their startups more in sort of like the hardware, science, you know, pure data kind of space um, or whether, you know, the the standard of the, the startups is just increasing. But there, there seemed 
this year to be uh, a disproportionately large of like really, really complicated, mm. super high level, you know, scientific projects or something, something along it's, those lines. Yeah, it's almost like they've completely raised the bar. Yeah, um, absolutely. But that's not to say when I was at TechCrunch last year that there was some pretty interesting things. Um, it just seems as though the the uniqueness of um, this, you know, the ideas coming out of TechCrunch are just becoming more and more. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Abs- lack of a better word. <laughs> absolutely. I think um, one of the most interesting things to think about is for a long time, uh, programmers only operated inside their own sort of programming world and you know all of all of the major like real innovations that were happening were all to do with development or were all to do with computers or you know stuff like that and so a lot of the early tech crunch startups were super interesting and, and really amazingly done but they were often all like you know a unique take on search engines a unique mm. take on social networks you mm. know um a unique take on on you know collecting big data or stuff like that. That if we think about the the winners um, of of TCA Disrupt in the last two years, um, Enigma and the one from New York, Verb, um, yeah, were both sort of pseudo search engines, really complex big data projects. Um, but now I think people are starting to realize, especially developers, are starting to realize that. In cooperation with someone working in a science field or with someone working in an engineering field or, you know, uh, with someone someone working uh, in one of the other sort of more pure science fields, if you team up with someone who's a really good developer or really good at tech or really good at marketing or whatever, that can that can actually change the whole project entirely. So I and think solve some pretty complex problems. Yeah, absolutely. So I think programmers and tech people in general are moving into other industries and realizing that their skills can actually be applied there really well. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm hoping I'm in you know, 10, 20 years down the track it'll be absolutely fundamental to have a developer on your team. It'll be almost like you know, a CEO or an HR manager. Um, Absolutely. I think there are so many companies out there that are a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to having a developer in-house because, mm. of course, one of the reasons that digital agencies exist and do so well is because um, so many people need development work. Mm, mm. Yeah, there is sure. so much code that needs to be written out there, <laughs> and I, I honestly think there's not enough people to write it at the moment. So. Yeah, there's a high high demand, low supply, and um, the three minute battery charger. Hey, ah, so cool! <laughs> like I like I said before, I um can't wait until there's going to be some way of publicly charging your phone and doing it in a really short period of time because getting stuck without a without your phone being charged is just you know the pits i mean getting stuck in new york city without your phone being charged is even yeah totally the worst i mean there's always been this uh, push and pull in batteries between charging speed and um and capacity because uh oh god i did a lot on batteries in chemistry in university but i honestly can't remember any of it but one of the big things is that like uh the two concepts are sort of, uh, in a lot of cases, the antithesis of each other. So if something charges fast, it will either degrade the battery quickly, or it won't be. You won't be able to have a, a high capacity battery that charges mm. charges quickly. Um, so I guess those two are always uh, a little bit of an enemy of each other. You know what I mean? Because if we had batteries that could charge in one second, what's the point of increasing the capacity? beyond a couple of hours and at the same time if batteries last for six months what's the point of having them charge in three minutes versus charge in three hours you know yeah. what i mean so yeah. the the two concepts are constantly sort of fighting against each other and innovating in their own way i believe um obviously the capacity it's you'd have to if you had a battery i think from having ch- having having spoken to a few of the devs here they said that it's physically not possible to to build a battery um, with a length of, you know, six months or having having the length of charge for six months because it can only get so small and you can only compact the batteries to a certain size. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. People have said, 
I always hear people say kind of stuff, which is like, my phone's gotten, you know, like my phone's amazing compared to what phones were like in, you know, the early 2000s. And we didn't even really have mobiles widely distributed in the 90s and stuff like that. But the battery life feels like it's gotten even worse. You know, like my Nokia 3310, the battery used to last for five days and now it only lasts for a day kind of thing. But what people don't realize is that batteries have gotten much better. And they are continuing to get much better. But at the same time, phones are getting thinner. The CPUs are getting more powerful and requiring, you know, more battery. People are using their phones more. Absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's relative. Yeah, it's this constant battle. I think the people who make batteries have gotten a pretty <laughs> short end of the stick in that one, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, it's interesting, though. In terms of batteries, have you heard about Tesla's um, home battery that they're, their home batteries that they're building? No, I haven't. So... Uh, Tesla, uh, which is the the well known as an electric car company, um, they one of the other things that they build that people don't really think about until you explain it, and then it's obvious is batteries. So so Tesla builds batteries separately to to their cars, and obviously they use their own batteries in their cars. But they are building batteries that allow you to essentially power your whole house off off a battery that you install somewhere in your premises and. Mm. The idea uh, in the long term, I think, is that uh, to have efficient enough solar panels and good enough batteries that you can actually disconnect yourself entirely from the main electricity grid and actually power your own home rather than having to use city electricity. You know what's really interesting? I was at a barbecue recently and there is a state in the USA which are disconnecting from the grid. The whole state. It's not. It may not be the state. It was it's Colorado, maybe Colorado. Would that make sense? Is that by Canada? Colorado. Yeah, we're showing our Australianness here by having a complete she lack said, of knowledge about she said, American yeah, geography. It is, um, they're just, and there's a huge amount of politics involved, but they want to be completely um, have all the energy through natural green energy. So yeah, obviously, um, hydro, wind power. That's, Solar. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, if you're thinking about a crazy proposal, or not crazy, but like a very out there proposal, then mm. uh, Colorado is definitely one of the places that you would find something like that. Um, yeah, I'll have to read about that because that's really interesting. I mean, uh, the thing, the thing to think about is that energy companies are so huge now, and mm. they they control. You know, they control so much uh, now because the, their profits are so huge. Obviously, they're really, really heavily involved in politics, you know, companies like Chevron and, and stuff like that because their profits are just so high. And it would be really interesting to see what the flow on effects would be if uh, little by little um, people started disconnecting their homes and from the main electricity grid and not really needing, you know, there to be these g- enormous power stations that... that power and transport electricity to whole cities it'd be a really really interesting yeah absolutely i mean there's terrible things that happen with these big energy companies oh um, of course yeah so it'd be nice to see in fact my partner's um father has, is completely self-sufficient on these his solar panels which are on top of his roof and he actually gets paid from the grid because wow. he puts energy back into the grid. So he must have some kind of battery system or something yeah. to store. Yeah, some exactly. So, th- so this is exactly what tells uh, what Tesla is um, trying to do. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, it's so funny. We have a we have a, a major telecommunications provider in Australia called Telstra, and when I'm when I'm mentally like pulling up the word Tesla, <laughs> I always get confused Telstra between Tesla. the two. Mm. What else did you um, find interesting from you know the interview with Kevin? Oh, I love relevancy data. I absolutely <laughs> love relevancy data because one of the one of the biggest things that that has always really really frustrated me is just how inaccurate advertising is in mm. general. Mm. And I personally um, use a combination of of plugins in Google Chrome to basically stop Disable. me from seeing any advertising yeah. when I when I usually um, just browse random stuff online, but. I would actually be happy. I'd be happy to see some advertising if it was actually relevant to me. The biggest problem is that relevancy has always been a huge issue when it comes to advertising. And especially, especially YouTube ads. YouTube ads are the one thing that I really, really can't stand. So when I, if I'm at someone else's house and they're showing me a YouTube video and I see like a 30 second ad on YouTube that's totally unrelated to 
anything that we're interested in, it it really, <laughs> it really me, gets me. It makes me question though, how do you define relevancy? Like you may, you may be searching for, let's just say, everyone always uses the, <laughs> the vertical for me on online shopping. <laughs> so I'm just gonna go with that. Okay. <laughs> if I was online shopping for boots and what, what, what happens if I've already purchased those boots or I've bought something offline and I continuously getting these, get these advertisements on sh- you know shoe shoe brands, uh, I may not be interested. Is that relevant? Uh, you've got to, it's going to be very difficult to define what relevancy is. Absolutely, yeah. So the um the interesting thing is that like uh, in order to understand relevancy in that case, I think these companies will have to build extremely accurate profiles on who we are and what we're They'll interested in. They have to put in. cookies in our back pockets <laughs> and follow us around everywhere. Um, yeah, it's kind of terrifying when you think actually, about it. You know, you, it may actually happen with eye beacons. They can probably check, you know, with an eye beacon and say, okay, Chelsea's just walked into a shoe store offline. We, we don't have enough time to, to explain it specifically, but you, if you haven't heard of eye beacons before, um, it's spelt as if it were an Apple product, like the letter I and then beacon. Um, the technology there is really, really interesting and really, really terrifying. And I hadn't heard of it until I actually... Um, was investigating, you know, ways of, of tracking whether people went into a store or not because I, I knew someone in a startup who was trying to do that. And there's some really, really interesting stuff going on there. So check out iBeacons if you get time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Something's just happened. Oh, there we go. Um, it's great. I uh, was at a networking event yesterday and there was a rep from an iBeacon company and I went up to him and I said... I'm so excited to, to see you here. I, I only learned about iBeacons last year in, in NYC. Um, it's great to see that it's sort of filtering out all over the it's world. It's one of those background technologies that's making such a big difference, but nobody knows really knows it. what it is. Yeah, exactly. And, and there needs to be adoption, um, you know, by some of the big brands, and then it will slowly, slowly start filtering out. Yeah, also another interesting thing um, – Kev was talking about a startup called Get Pangea, I think, which was basically uh, a way of of providing mobile data over just a standard cell phone call connection, and, when, and it was for use in um, in um, third world countries. That kind of stuff is is super duper interesting. And I I was actually I was just saying this before out of the interview. I wonder if it works like a dial up modem. Like for, for those of you who actually remember what dial up modems sound like, I wonder if you get that horrendous noise when you're connecting to the internet through your mobile. Because mm-hmm. having 56k dial up I, I, on on a mobile phone, I think would be a really terrific blast from the past. It'd be totally weird. I'd love to get that just as my ringtone. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't think people would enjoy it so much. People would be looking around on the bus, being like, "What is that?" I haven't <laughs> I'm heard pretty sure you probably get noise for being ages. Like, oh my gosh! Yeah, blast from the past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think we're just about out of time. Um, of course, thanks for humoring us while while Kev is away. We always have a great time <laughs> doing this kind of thing. But Absolute pleasure. He he really is the master of doing this kind of thing. So Kev is still away for I believe uh, four or five more weeks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. He will be on the next podcast though. Oh, okay. He's he's going to be hosting it or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to, he's got some great interviews uh, oh, lined well, up. Oh, well, this is news to me. I've lost my job apparently and I'm only just finding out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in a fortnight. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks. Bye.